listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Perhaps you've heard that phrase, um, Jesus is the reason for the season. Heard that one? Maybe you've said it yourself. Uh, maybe you have a placard of that stuck in your yard. I don't know. Or let's keep Christ in Christmas. That's a popular one as well. Of course, I agree with all of that. Uh, I have no issues with it whatsoever. Jesus is the reason for the season. And of course, we should keep Christ in Christmas 100%, full stop. Having said that, though, there are a lot of people who I've heard say that, that don't actually celebrate Christmas in a very Christian fashion. Because we know that the Christmas holiday is also celebrated in our country and around the world by lots of folks who don't have religious belief or practice, or at least don't adhere to the Christian belief or practice. And so kind of growing up, we celebrated Christmas and we were Christian. However, if we ever stopped to interrogate the way in which we celebrated Christmas, we would realize that we were actually celebrating it in the most secularized of ways. That is, everything about Christmas was leading up to the day. And it had a lot to do with the buying and exchanging of gifts. And so if you celebrate Christmas, and it's a lot about either buying gifts and giving gifts or receiving gifts, and you think Christmas kind of builds up and ends on the 25th, then you're celebrating Christmas just as a secular humanist in America. Because that's exactly the way the culture celebrates Christmas. Christmas is the time before the 25th. It ends on the 25th, and it's celebrated mostly by the giving of gifts. So if, again, if that's the way in which we celebrate Christmas, we are utterly secularized. Because the, Christ, the Christian way of celebrating Christmas is to have Advent, kind of the weeks before, kind of building up our anticipation and our expectation the kind of the practice of the waiting of the coming of the Christ child. And then let Christmas Day kind of start the season called Christmas time. And we're still in the midst of that, of course, Christmas time. It starts on the 25th. <clears throat> it ends on January the 5th. And then January the 6th starts the next kind of season. And so one of the ways to practice Jesus is the reason for the season or keeping Christ in Christmas would be to practice this calendar and to do it in a Christian way. And so it's not over on Christmas Day. It begins on Christmas Day. And so this Sunday uh, is a Sunday that's part of Christmas time. So our Christmas decorations are still up. All of the candles of Advent have been lit, even the Christ candle in the middle. We're celebrating that Christ is here. The birth of the child has happened. And now we're going to have this extended um, celebration, right? of the good things of those, of what's happening. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting is, in addition to Christmas Day, there are lots of feast days that take place um, on these days in between Christmas and Epiphany. And a lot of them actually deal with suffering. One of them is the feast day of Stephen. Uh, my brother-in-law is named Stephen. I always think of him on that day. I'm glad he hasn't been martyred. <laughs> 
But another one <clears throat> is, the, is the remembrance of the children that were slaughtered in Bethlehem. And so there's like a celebration of that day. And so a lot of that, I think, it's not, it's not like, hey, Christ is here. Let's celebrate everyone who died for Christ. <laughs> All right. That's, it's not quite like that. But it is a sense in which <clears throat> when Jesus comes, he identifies with us. He's vulnerable like us, right? He's, um, he, he will suffer a death like us, right? And so we see that Jesus comes to identify with us. <clears throat> but on a day like today, this is the Feast of the Holy Family, the Sunday after Christmas. We kind of see that Jesus doesn't just come to identify with our frailties, but he comes to overcome such things, to overcome sin, to overcome death, and to bind us together. And so that the holy family of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus become a model for all of us. And then not only that, but we are all called into something even greater than that. This is the story of Simeon. Guy's been in the temple all these years. And he'd been promised that he would see the Christ child, that he would see the Messiah. And so when Mary and Joseph, following the law, following the Torah, right, bring Jesus, baby Jesus, to the temple on the eighth day after his uh, birth to be circumcised. That's what's happening. And Simeon is there and he's, he's going to perform that particular ceremony. And he sees him and he quotes as, as a as it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, a bit of Isaiah. And it's a part of Isaiah that talks about the coming of the Messiah. Except that part of Isaiah that talks about the coming of Messiah includes this statement, and Luke included it in his retelling, right, that this will be a sign for the Gentiles. Now, there's, there's various ways you might read that. You can read that in kind of almost a Zionist way and that, you know, the Jews had been beaten up on and beaten up on and beaten up on. But when their Messiah finally comes, this is going to be a sign for those Gentiles. You know, they're going to know that, that the Jewish deliverer has come and he's going to kick their rear and knock them out. <laughs> that's one way to read it. But I don't think that's the way Luke's reading it. Because if you read the rest of Luke's gospel, he's very inclusive. All these people are being included by Jesus, um, all these stories are being told that are kind of unique to Luke. Um, the, the prodigal son, right, which is a Jewish boy who's gone away and comes home. That's unique to Luke. The good Samaritan, right, the, the other from a different culture and from a different religion, yet he's the one who is the, is the, the quintessential neighbor, right? He's included and he comes in. Uh, the thief on the cross who, who believes, you know that story? That's also unique to Luke. So Luke has all of these stories about how these others are kind of included in the story, which of course makes sense because Luke, as far as we know, is the only non-Jewish contributor to the New Testament. Everyone else who wrote for the New Testament were Jewish people, except for Luke. And Luke assuming that he wrote Luke and Acts, is the largest contributor. Like Paul wrote a lot of books, but most of his are very small ones. If we're actually doing a word count, Luke's the largest contributor uh, to the New Testament, which is interesting. Um, 
Paul actually comes in third if you're doing a word count, uh, if you lump together the Johannine text. So the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. Sorry, I didn't mean to get into the weeds there. No, no one was wanting to know exactly who wrote what. But my point simply is this, that when Simeon goes to tell the story about what it means that the long-promised Messiah has come, he quotes a bit of Isaiah that talks about the Messiah being a sign for the Gentiles. That's good for us, unless you're Jewish. It was already good for you, right? You're God's chosen people. But if you're not Jewish, which I think most of us aren't, then that's really good news for us because that means that this this Jewish Messiah that's come, this Christ child that's been born, this holy family has now included, right, has been a, become a sign for those who weren't originally included, those who were kind of the outsiders. In fact, it's switched so much to this day that most Christians now are Gentiles. They're not of Jewish descent. And frankly, we don't have the best history, us Gentile Christians, of how we've treated our Jewish brothers and sisters. That, that's an important note to take. Right? The Crusades, where many Jews were killed, were, were conducted by, by Christians from Paris and from France and from England. The Inquisition, which killed a lot of Jews and Muslims, was conducted by Christians. The Holocaust in the mid-20th century didn't take place in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq. It took place in Germany, where everyone was Christian, right? You're either Catholic or you're Lutheran. That's pretty much your only options. Well, obviously, there were Jews there. But they're the ones who got exterminated. And so the story of how particularly Gentile Christians in Europe and their descendants have treated Jews is a dark one, but it's one that we need to be aware of so that we don't contribute to repeating such things. That's, that's important. Because if, unless I'm mistaken, the way in which the New Testament starts to talk about this thing is that not only has Christ, the Christ child, come and been born, and that's why we celebrate Christmas, but he's introducing us to a whole new way of understanding who we are and when we are. We, we are not nowhere and we are not no when. <laughs> the where we are is here in God's good creation. The when we are is after the advent of Christ. It's after the birth of the child. And now that has changed everything. So Paul will pray, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he goes, I pray to the God and Father of every family on heaven and earth. Every family on heaven and earth. Do you realize who that includes? Every family on heaven and earth? That's a lot of people. And then there's this passage in Galatians. This is the if not the first, one of the first letters that Paul wrote. And we're getting close to the end of Galatians, and Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
in order to redeem those who were under the law, that's the Jews, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a child, and if a child, then also an heir through God. Now, this, this is going to sound remarkable. And we're not in our Advent season. I've gotten out of my Meister Eckhart day where I'm going to have you confess something strange and then try and nuance it for you. We're not, that was just a short-term phenomenon that took place. You don't have to worry. I haven't like changed my preaching style altogether. But a text like that one, not only is Jesus the Son of God, but he is our brother. So if Jesus is the Son of God and he's our brother, then what does that make us? It makes us children of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. That in the fullness of time, when the time was just right, he sent his son to be born of a woman. That that is an amazing text. And it's a text that the church will often couple that passage from Paul with this passage that Justin read for us out of Luke that talks about the Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple and meeting Simeon and Simeon quoting Isaiah and then, um, uh, I just forgot her name, Anna, thank you. you didn't, I'm glad to see you're paying attention. <laughs> Anna comes, right? And she prophesies. That, you know, when you're reading that text, you're like, and a prophet comes, and you're thinking, well, who's it going to be, right? Because, you know, we have, we have Zechariah, the priest, and he's just quoted from Isaiah, and you think, well, who's this prophet? And he said, the prophet comes, Anna, they say. Wow, that's great. And she tells us this story. Our Advent series was titled, Coming Home. Today's not really part of a series. This is our one and only Christmas, because last week was still Advent. It was Christmas Eve, but it's still part of Advent. And next week, by the time we get here, it will already be um, Epiphany. So this is our only kind of Christmas time sermon. And again, our service, and again, this is called the Feast of the Holy Family. But the coming home of Advent is preparing us for our Epiphany series, which is... All in the family. Hmm. It's not quite the same all in the family that you're thinking of with, uh, what's his name, Carol? Huh? Yeah. Carol O'Connor. Thank you. Tell you what, I'm out of it today. But I'm, I'm glad you're with it. Thank you for staying with me. But connecting our coming home to our all in the family is this day the feast of the Holy Family. And what I want you to know is that although it is within the Christian tradition, this understanding that God is our Father, therefore we are brothers and sisters. Yeah? You've heard that before? We really want to lean into that this year. Because we've we've come home at Advent. And in Epiphany, we're going to talk about that it's all in the family that there's nothing that can separate us because there is one God and he is the God and father of every family on earth. 
That's what Paul says in Ephesians. And again, what Paul said in Galatians, when the time was just right, he sent his son to be born of a woman so that those under the law might receive the spirit of adoption. Now, there are a lot of metaphors for what it means to be part of the people of God that are used in Scripture. The, the one that uh, evangelicals seem to love is being born again. It's used twice, I think, in Scripture. It's not very common. But it's a good one, right? That we were dead and then we're born. There are, of course, lots of others. Uh, becoming a new creature. Paul will talk about that. Um, being redeemed or regenerated. That, that's also discussed. Of course, baptism and sanctification and those kind of verbiage get used talking about a non-believer becoming a believer or the ones who are away from God becoming part of the people of God. Of course, Paul will tell us, he's getting a lot of airtime today, Paul will tell us while we were yet enemies with God, Christ died for us. So it wasn't like God was waiting for us to turn toward God. While we were away from God and even identified as enemies with God, Christ died for us. But the most common metaphor used of people and their relationship with God is this idea of adoption. It's used by the Hebrew prophets. It's used um, here in this passage uh, in Galatians that we just read. It's in the song that we just sang. It's elsewhere in the Pauline literature. It is the most common metaphor of what it means to become part of the people of God. At a different place in Paul's writing, he's writing about the Jews and he's using the metaphor of a tree. This is in Paul's letter to the Romans. This is chapter 11. And he's like, well, the Jews were kind of naturally a part of this tree, but they get cut off. And then another branch gets picked up, we'll call it the Gentiles, and they get grafted in. So now we have a grafted-in branch to the tree. So it raises the question, what about the branch that had been cut off? Is it dead? Is it gone? Is it going to be burnt? Paul's like, no. It's going to be redeemed. So the branch that gets cut off, had been cut off, gets grafted into the tree. And so you now have one tree, one trunk, with two primary branches both of which have been grafted in. One that's Jewish and one that's Gentile. This is a, a metaphor that he's using to kind of finish what he started at the very beginning of that letter when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. First to the Jew and then to the Greek is not a statement of hierarchy. It's not like, First to the Jew, they're up here, and then the Greek, well, we'll let them in. Right? It's, it's a matter of chronology. It's, in, it's, it's salvation history. It's just, it's just timing. First to the Jew, historically, that's how it came. It didn't come to some guy from Egypt or some guy from Turkey or some guy from, from Arabia. It came to Abraham and his descendants. It was literally first to the Jew. But then 
it included the Greek. So now we have a Jew plus Greek people of God. We've all been adopted. God only has one unbegotten son. And his name is Jesus, our elder brother. Everybody else is adopted into the family. Everybody else. doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. The way Luke will talk about it, he'll talk about it many tongues and many people. So all these different tongues that are spoken and they're all hearing the mighty works of God in their own dialect from this place and that place and the other place. All these geographical locations. The way John will talk about it, he'll say every tribe, language, people, and nation. So I take John's every language, every tribe, language, people, and nation, and I take Luke's kind of Pentecostal, many voices and many tongues to be basically the same thing as Paul's Jew plus Greek group. So this is a family. You are my family. Now, I realize sometimes we move away. Sometimes we, you know, we miss a few Sundays, what have you. But one of the things we have to get better at, and I don't just mean us here at Oasis, but I mean Christians in general. We, we need a, a vow of stability, a, a commitment to stay. Because that's what family does. We stick together. We care for one another. If some, someone else is in need, we, we are ready and quick and wanting and willing and able to come to their aid. Because they're family. And if God is the God of every family under heaven, then everyone who's ever been born, everyone you've ever met is a child of God. Perhaps they've yet to meet their father. In which case, it's your responsibility to introduce them to their father. That in some ways, and I've said this before, but today seems like a good day to repeat it. In some ways, I think the church functions in the world like God's foster care system. It's like we're all born into a different family. We'll call it the family of sin and death. Yet we're being adopted into a new family. It's called the family of God. And we need some place to be to kind of process all that. And so you come here and you have a family meal. It's called communion. And you learn the family story. It's called scripture. And you, and you pray prayers and you sing songs and you get to know the faces and the names of those around you because you're all part of the same family, all whom have the same elder brother named Jesus and all who have the same father the one and only Lord God Almighty, the God of heaven and earth. 
And so this becomes now our forever family. And to quote John again, the time comes when we'll stand before the judge. I don't know if you've ever gone through an adoption, but this is how it works. You stand before a judge and the judge hits his gavel and you get a new name. And that new name that you get is the name of your father and your brother. And that's, that's how this is supposed to work. And this has so many implications for how we treat other people. Maybe especially people who aren't like us. I don't want to be a doomsdayer. But I think 2024 might be a hard year. I think it might be tough. I think there are going to be a lot of conversations out there that are going to pull at us and push us and ask us to to argue against and to disassociate. And I think we're going to have to resist that. All right. Where's Jim? You might have to help me with this one. Um, who sang the song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother? The Hollies. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Uh, so a little confession. Confession's good for the soul, they say. Um, when I first heard that, I thought, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, was because his the guy was fat, and he was trying to... He was trying to um, stick up for his brother. It's like, he's not heavy. Don't say that about my brother. But then I actually listened to the song, and it doesn't have anything to do with the guy's weight or size. The point is, he's not heavy to carry because I'll carry him anytime, anywhere. Because the burden is light. Because he's my brother. It's not a burden for me. It's not a burden for me because of love. And so we will know that we are with God when love displaces our burdens, our burdens of caring for our family. So I have high expectations for us this year. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my calendars together just a bit. The, the Christian New Year was a few weeks ago when Advent started. But you all know that we live in the United States and that today's December 31st. And so just so you understand what I believe anyway, and I'm not saying you have to believe this too, I do believe as Christians we should walk a different, to a different rhythm and live a different way. And I think following the church calendar is a helpful way to do that. But since we do live where we live, I'm not anti this place, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think it's okay. We're, we're here. We, we, we can practice the things that are practiced, most of them anyway. We just kind of sanctify them, right? We, it's, it's okay to practice New Year's Day or Fourth of July or Memorial Day or Labor Day or what have you. It's not sinful to do that. You don't want to substitute that for Christian things, and you don't want to conflate them in unhealthy ways. But, but you, can, you can be a good citizen 
and still have your primary allegiance with the kingdom of God. That makes sense, just in general, right? Like if you went to another country, you could still function like a nice, well-adjusted adult there, even though your primary citizenship is here. Same, that's how this works too, right? Even though our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean like we can't live as good folk kind of here in the U.S. and be happy about it even. So to that point, (laughs) this national calendar year, if you're going to make a resolution, make this one, that you're going to live as a more faithful member of the family of God. That you're going to help kind of foster those who don't yet know the Father so that they might come and get to know the Father. You could even bring them to family meals. Let them hear the family stories about Father Abraham, about Uncle David, about great uncle Zechariah and Aunt Anna and all the stories of the family that we are a part of, including us. This is the great thing that as Christians, when we read the scriptures, we're not just reading history, we're reading our family story because that story that we're reading about is a story about our father and what he's been doing on this planet and how he has worked through his son now to save the world. And we're invited, hmm, invited might be too soft a word really. That'd be like when your mother invited you to clean your room, (laughs) right? Or your father invited you to, you know, wash the car. (laughs) In that sense, we are invited to love and care for others. Right? So that they too can realize that this is their family too. And we don't want them to live ostracized from it. And we don't want ourselves to live ostracized from it. I mean, sometimes I get ostracized for myself. (laughs) I don't know about the rest of you. You guys pray for me. And I'll pray for you. And this year we'll make a commitment to be good family members, brothers and sisters in the Holy Family. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.